guys for leading us in worship. And I don't know where all of you are at or what you got going on, but man, I'm so thankful and grateful for the opportunity, at least for a little bit each and every week, to slow down and pause and in the midst of all the chaos and uncertainty in the world around us to stop and to gather as the family of SBC uh, and to remind each other through the study of the word and through worship, uh, who's sitting on the throne above, who rules reigns over all things and where our hope is truly found and that is in Jesus Christ. And so I hope it's been a blessing to you already. I hope as we continue to study the word, even now that you'd be encouraged uh, and God would challenge our hearts and our souls as we go forward in the midst of everything that's taking place. You know, Rustin and I are kicking off a series for the next four weeks, we call it Transformed. Uh, that we would be transformed uh, really by the renewing of our hearts and our minds. And I gotta be honest with you from the very beginning, if you hear nothing else today to kind of kick off this whole series, uh, this is not about transforming your behavior. Uh, in fact, if you, all, you do out of, all you get out of this is you change some behavior, some habits, and I feel like we've missed the mark and we have dropped the ball. Uh, our hope and our prayer truly is, is that we would be able to kneel before the throne of God and begin to let God transform our hearts from the inside. And as we walk through each of these steps over the next four weeks, uh, that we will begin to see God do what only God can do. Because the beauty in that is when God transforms our heart, uh, our behavior will certainly follow in the weeks and the months and the years to come. Uh, but if all we do is change behavior, then typically what we do is we, we will ourselves for a period of time and then we fall again and then we're right back into this cycle of guilt and shame and, and everything else. And so we really wanna go after the heart. So as we share some of these thoughts and as we look at God's word, uh, I hope you guys will understand and wrestle with this. Okay, how do, I, how do I let God do some work here more so than anything else? And so that's what we're praying for. We'll continue to pray for, for us as an SBC family as we move forward in all of this time. Well, I don't know what life has been like for you, uh, but virtual and digital world has become uh, just a, a commonplace these days. Uh, and I've spent a lot of time on Zoom calls. You guys know Zoom calls? I don't know what, I'm curious what happened to Skype. Remember Skype? Skype was all the rage for a while and I haven't heard of them since. Uh, whoever the marketing and director of Skype is should be fired. Don't follow them ever because Zoom has taken over the world. Everybody Zooms. You Zoom this, you Zoom that. And so, Several Zoom meetings that I've sat in as a pastor and they're all uh, riveting and exciting as you can imagine. And uh, one night I'm sitting at home watching TV and a news story comes on that says, uh, Zoom calls have been directly linked to an uptick in cosmetic surgery. I thought, wait, what? So I listened to the story and it was kind of vague. And so I got online and I began to look and I, I began to look and all over the country, cosmetic surgeons were being interviewed and what they were saying was, yeah, we've seen an uptick in consultations. And people have sat in our office and we've asked them, okay, well, what brought you in here today? And most of the people during this pandemic time have said this, well, I was looking at myself on my Zoom screen and I don't like this, 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 or this. And they began to point out the flaws that they began to see in themselves as they looked at themselves in that digital mirror. I'm sitting there going, you gotta be kidding me. You don't look any different. You look the same as you did yesterday, but all of a sudden, because you got to look yourself in the face, now you're going to be upset. Now you, you, suddenly you recognize a fault in you that only you see. Everyone else has been looking at you forever, but now you're going to call that out. How vain are people? So the next day I'm on my Zoom call and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at myself in my square, maybe a little bit more than I had before. And if it was a subliminal message or just the reality that this was in the back of my mind. And I thought, huh. There it is, that's, that's pretty much what I thought I looked like. 
And then I closed that meeting out and I went to the next meeting. And because I have my kids in my house, I had to move to a different location. And this location, I happened to set my computer up uh, at a at kind of knee level. And I pop on that Zoom call and I'm looking at myself and I go, wait a minute, I don't like that. You see, when the, when the camera's up here at eye level or above, I, I can kind of deal with it. But whenever the camera was below my eye level and I had to look down, this little Johnsonville bratwurst would show up right here underneath my chin. You see that? I feel like I'm a pelican trying to swallow a marlin every time I look down at this thing. I'm like, oh, what is that? And it became fixated on this little turkey gobbler I got going on under here. And it began to, to and so I'm sitting there in my next meeting, I'm holding the computer up real high, like, hey guys, how's it going? But like Moses to the Israelites, my arms start to shake and I eventually had to bring it down. And there I am staring myself in the face again with this little Johnsonville bratwurst hanging from underneath my chin and going, man, what is that? It's always been there. Everyone sees it. No one looks at me and goes, oh, what's hanging off your face? But I see it. I recognize it. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I don't like that. What does it look like if we we're to pull back a little bit and we we're to really kneel before the throne of God and say, God, would you give me eyes to see into my heart and my soul the way that you do? And what might God reveal to us? What might he bring to attention that we don't even realize, we don't even recognize it right now? Maybe God wants to begin to expose some of those things and we can begin to deal with it as we move forward. That's the start of this transformation process that we would recognize what God wants to do in our heart and our soul. That's where it all starts. So here's a question before I pray, before we get into our passage. The question is this, do you know how good God is? Do you know how good God is? Do you know that God loves you as your father and as his son or as his daughter, he is looking down upon you and he loves you and he is for you and he longs for great things for you and he, he wants the best for you. And when he looks at you, he goes, man, you are my precious little one. God loves you. Do you know and do you understand God that way? Because if we don't see God that way, it's gonna be real hard for us to do what I think God's calling all of us to do today. And that is to kneel before his throne and say, God, would you reveal, would you, would you, would you expose anything in me that I need to recognize that I need to own? But if you know he loves you and you know he is for you, and you know that he looks upon you and says, man, I have great things in store for you. If we could just begin to deal with some of this. And it gets a whole lot easier to kneel before our father and do that. And so wrestle with that question for a second. Do you know God that way? Do you understand your heavenly father that way? Does he look down on you as a son or a daughter with absolute love in his eye and joy and compassion when he looks upon you? Because if you do, I think we're right at the cusp of what God wants to begin to do as he transforms us as we move forward. So let me pray. And then we'll dive into our text right now. God, we thank you for the chance to gather as your church family. God, as a family is scattered all over the place right now, God, I thank you that for this moment we get to come together. And we get to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, I pray as we dive into your word today, God, that you would search our hearts, that you would know us. You would try us and know our thoughts. God, I pray that you would search out any, any grievous, any heiress way in any of us. God, anything that's not of you, God, that you would expose that. And God, in the midst of that, as that becomes painfully aware to us, God, that we would lean into you with all that we've got. That you would lead us in your way everlasting. And God, we would be absolutely and completely dependent upon you. So God, I pray. I pray for your Holy Spirit to move. God, I pray that not a word would come out of my mouth that's not anointed by you. I pray that we would handle your word correctly. And God, we will thank you in advance for what you're gonna do both 
in our hearts as well as in our lives as, a, as an SBC family. So we thank you, we love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, we're going to be uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And if you have your Bibles, pull those out. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let me give you the backstory of what's going on. Uh, this is a story that many of you guys are familiar with. If, you, if you've been around the church for very long, you've heard this story before. It's the story of David. Uh, and here's who David is. David is a man after God's own heart. At a very young age, God comes along and God anoints David as the future king of Israel. But Saul was king at the time. And so he serves under Saul and Saul is a good king for a while. And then he tanks miserably and he tries to kill David and he chases David for a long time. But David stays faithful to the Lord. Uh, and eventually when Saul goes and passes away, David becomes king. And God anoints David king over Israel and God just showers his favor upon David. I mean, he is wiping out armies and he, and he is conquering lands and he is protecting the people and he is pursuing God with his whole heart. And, and David is a rock star in the faith. And God just keeps blessing him and blessing him and blessing him until David gets a little bit older in life and one of the commanders of the army says, hey, it's not good for you to come to battle with us anymore. You're getting a little too old. So David decides to stay home. And the scriptures tell us when the kings would normally go off to war, David stays at home. And all of a sudden, we've got some idle hands on this man after God's own heart. And so he finds himself wandering the top of his palace one afternoon. And he's wandering and looking out at his kingdom. And all of a sudden, he notices a woman taking a shower. And then he really notices a woman taking a shower. He calls his commander of the guard over and goes, hey, you seeing this? Do me a favor. Why don't you go get her? Bring her up to me so that I can know her in the biblical sense. And so commander does it, up she comes. David knows her in the biblical sense, sends her on her way. A little while later, she comes back and goes, hey, David, just so you know, I'm pregnant. And my husband's away at war, so you do the math. Well, David panics. So he sends for her husband. He brings her husband back and he decides, hey, here's what I'm gonna do. You've been such a, a good fighter for me, Uriah. You're a good man. Uh, why don't you go home and spend some time with your wife and just as a reward for your years of service to my, my army. And Uriah says, no, far be it for me to go spend time with my wife when my brothers and comrades are out there fighting a battle. I will not do it. So David gets a little frustrated, says, all right, I'll tell you what, why don't you come back tomorrow night? So he brings Uriah back the next night and does what David would do, a man after God's own heart. He goes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get a few cocktails in Uriah, uh, maybe spend some time sipping a few. And once he gets good and liquored up, then I'll send him home and we'll see how far this integrity goes. And so he does that. He gets them all liquored up, sends him home to his wife so that he can know his wife. And all of a sudden Uriah falls asleep on the doorstep and says, I won't go in there and do that because my brothers are here. Strike two, David's over two. So then David says, here's what I'm going to do. Gives Uriah some orders, says, here's what I want you to do. Take this to your commanding officer. So Uriah marches his orders to his commanding officer, gives them to him. The orders say this, I want you to send Uriah into the front lines of the harshest battle. And then I want you to blow the horn and at your signal, everyone in the army is to pull back except for Uriah and let him fight for himself. Essentially meaning I want you to send him out there and when I give you the signal, pull back and let him get killed. And so that's what happens. Uriah goes out and he's fighting for the kingdom and for Israel. And all of a sudden the trumpet blows and everyone scatters and this guy is left out there and he goes down swinging, but he's killed. So David being an upstanding man after God's own heart decides, oh, let me comfort, let me comfort your wife, this widowing wife. And so he marries Bathsheba. And he brings her into his household 
And he thinks, all is good. She's my bride. Here we go, moving forward. And then we come to 2 Samuel chapter 12. So let me read this for you. It's going to be up here on the screen. Let me read it from my Bible. It says this. And the Lord sent Nathan. Now hold on to that. The Lord sends Nathan. That's going to be important later. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he, Nathan, came to him and said to him this. And he's going to tell him a story. He says, there were two men in a certain city. One was rich, the other was poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man, he had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of his morsels and drink from the cup and he used to lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. He was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David just interrupts the story. Are you, what? Are you, is this a, is this a true story? Did this happen? Listen to what he says, verse five. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then in the most condemning moment of this whole story, Nathan looks right at David and he says this, you are the man. You are the man. And he would go on to say this. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, David. David, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And as if it were too little, I would add to you as much more. David, I've blessed you beyond blessing. Verse 9, why have you despised the word of the Lord? to do to his evil in his sight. You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and you've taken his wife to be your wife and you've killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And for the sake of our time today, we're gonna skip down to verse 13. David looks at Nathan and he says this, I have sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. In an instant, in a moment, David's rolling on with life. Oh, let me hear your story, Nathan. Oh, it's a terrible, let's kill that guy. You are that man. And in a moment, he's face to face having to recognize his own sinfulness. So as we begin to wrestle with this, here's the first thing that we can glean from this story. If you wanna to begin to come transformed, if you wanna sit there and say, okay, 4th of July weekend, 2021, how am I gonna be more like the child of God God wants me to be? How am I gonna be more like Christ? It's gotta start here. We've gotta start with this understanding. We've gotta recognize our own sin. We've gotta recognize our own sin. And I know as I say that, some of you go, ah, really, that's your point? Yeah, that's my point. We've got to recognize our own sin. We've got a weird thing going on in our culture right now. From me and, and down, but certainly up as well, generationally, there's this weird thing going on where everyone creates a facade. Everyone, everyone paints this picture of, of what they think they look like. Every picture that's posted has got a filter. Every post that's made is thought through and explained. And, and we begin to present ourselves in this very perfect, shiny world almost to the point where Satan can use that to get us to believe that's who we really are. And we lose sight of the fact that we need to own our own sin. We need to own our own sin. And, and here's where I feel like sometimes we get in trouble. We read a story like this, we hear a story like this and we go, well, I haven't killed a guy. I haven't impregnated somebody else's wife. Therefore, I'm doing pretty good. 
Make your list of 10 or 12 things that you know not to do. That's great. Keep not doing those things. But what might it look like to lean into the Lord and say, God, would you begin to reveal to me things that I don't even see? Things that I don't even see. I'll be honest with you. I don't struggle with murder. When it comes to pride, God knows my heart right now, man, it is full of pride and arrogance. And I need to lay that before the Lord and let him do what only he can do. But it starts with us recognizing that and owning that. To own and recognize our own sin. Now, how does that happen? I think certainly from this story, and we'll look at one other one in just a second, there's two ways in which God typically begins to expose or help us recognize our own sin. The first one we see here is is God sends Nathan. God sends Nathan into David's life to point it out. David's living his life as if nothing were taking place until Nathan shows up and goes, you are that man. And so here's the question. Who's the Nathan in your life? Who's the Nathan in your life? Who's that brother or sister in Christ that you would say, man, this individual loves the Lord and they love me and they love me enough where I give them the freedom and the ability to help point out things that I don't even recognize in myself. Things that I don't even see. You have a Nathan in your life. I'll tell you a real quick story. I was, I was 20 years old. I was working at Orange Tree. I've told you all those escapades before, but 20 years old working at Orange Tree. And I was working hard at the church and at work and at school, just trying to provide for my wife and my future child. And it was a grind. But I mean, I was responsible and I was hardworking, but I was fueled with anger and spite and pride. And I thought I had it all figured out. And God brings this 19-year-old person into my life. And he worked with me at the church. He interned with me at the church. And so I got him a job at Orange Tree. And so we would hang out a lot. And me and this guy could not be more opposite. He weighed about 85 pounds, long blonde hair, big grizzly beard. He was a skater and he was into music. And he was just, I mean, he was just everything I wasn't, this guy was. And so I decided I'm going to take it upon myself to help mold and shape this young man into the man God wants him to be. And so I would just pepper him with things. You need to toughen up. You need to learn responsibility. You need to, you need to stop being so sensitive. You need to stop being so, all the, and just, bam, just every time I'd see him, I'd have some way to correct his behavior. And so we're there on a Thursday night at Orange Tree. We're closing. It's just me and him. And I'm just grilling him with, are you really, you're, you know, upset about this and about that. Da, 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 and I'm just, bah, 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 bah. and all of a sudden he's sitting across from me. I'm sitting at this desk and he begins to walk over towards me. And I think, all right, this is going down. Perfect. I know who's going to win this battle real quick. And he begins to walk at me and he can just see he's frustrated. He's angry on his face. And so I pop up out of my chair, let's do this. And he just walks right in front of me and he reaches into the drawer that was sitting right next to me and he opens it up and he reaches in and he pulls out a Bible that I had in there that I would read at night when I was by myself. And so he pulls this Bible out and he slams the Bible on the desk and he looks me right in the eye and he goes, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to show me in the pages of that book where God affirms Pride, arrogance, spite, anger, because I see a lot of that in you. And when you're done doing that, I'll show you a lot of places in there where it talks about a broken and contrite spirit. It talks about God honoring the humble. I'm pretty sure it says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that have self-control. And I gotta be honest with you, Kevin, I don't see any of those character traits in you. So why don't you shut up and stop quoting how I need to live my life. And why don't you start reading that book that you say you love so much? 
And I gotta be honest with you, in that moment, it's the closest thing I've ever experienced to a David-like thing where he looks at me and goes, you are the man. Because I knew he had me. I knew he was right. And in that moment, God knit my heart to this man's for the, I mean, for the last 20 plus years, we have been the best of friends. And he speaks truth into my life. And he, he, he looks at me and he goes, Kevin, I don't know if you see this or not, but I see this in you. And maybe God wants to refine this and work on this. And God brought a Nathan into my life at a time that I desperately needed it. And I gotta be honest with you. My child that was about to be born is, is reaping the benefits of that conversation. Become a different father. I'm a far different husband. I'm a different friend. And I know that I'm a different pastor as a result of God using that man to convict my heart of things that I didn't even see. I thought I had it all figured out. And God brings a Nathan into my life to go, what about this? So here's the question, who's your Nathan? Do you have a Nathan in your life to, bring, to, bring, to help you to recognize those things that you don't even see? Now, two things on a Nathan. One, let me talk to the men. Men, let me help, help you because somewhere along the way, and I've fallen victim to this for far too long, um, we've bought into this, hey, isolate, figure it out, tough it out, figure it out on your own. You don't need to ask for directions. You can do it all by yourself. And we've bought into this lie that I think an enemy uses against us. Because I can take you to passages in scripture where God seems to affirm brothers uniting together. Iron sharpening iron. Paul and Barnabas going off. I mean, several people going off together, linking arms together and saying, hey, I'm gonna help you grow and I love you and you love me and so let's grow together. And so if you're out there as a man in particular and you don't have anybody around you, you're going it alone, you're a lone wolf in it. Maybe today, this weekend, you might find yourself saying, man, you know what? I need a Nathan in my life. I need somebody in my life that, that I could trust and that loves me and that loves the Lord that might be able to help me begin to recognize some of those areas that I need to reveal and, and, and expose and lay before the Lord and let God do that. Find a Nathan. We've got an incredible men's ministry here at the Shea campus. They meet on Tuesday nights. We've got one up at Northridge on Saturdays. I know Rick's got one that meets at Cactus all the time. Find some men, some brothers in arm that you can lock arms with because you want to begin to change culture. You want to begin to change everything that's going on out there. Let's find some men that love the Lord, that lead and love their families well and are locked arms together, growing together. Man, to me, that's what, that, God can change the world with that. Who's your Nathan? Ladies, you need a Nathan too. I'm a, I, I just know men and I'm, so I apologize. I don't mean to alienate you. Now, let me say this and I'll walk way away from the Bible for this one because this one might be a little rough. Uh, don't weaponize this concept of, of Nathan because here's where some of you will go. At least I know this is true for people in my life. I've got a list of maybe three people that I would say are Nathans to me that have the right to speak truth into my life. I've got a list of probably 15 people that think they're a Nathan in my life. And the other 12, they're just critical, judgmental, finger-pointing Christians in my life that think they're doing me good, but all I hear from them is how I've disappointed them or how critical they are, and I don't want anything to do with them. I tolerate them, but I don't listen to them. So here's what I need you to do. Don't weaponize this concept. As you think through, hey, you know what? I think God might have put this person in my life to speak some truth into them. Really wrestle with that. If your list is more than two or three, it's probably too long. If your list has anybody that has the title in-law after their title, you're probably not that person either, okay? Just be careful. Don't weaponize this. Maybe ask, maybe ask some people, hey, do I have the freedom to speak honestly with you about some things that I see? And if they say no, say, all right, that's cool. Man, I love you. 
If they say yes, might you have the courage to step into that and begin to point some of these things out? Because I absolutely believe God uses brothers and sisters. He uses the body of Christ to help expose some of those things that we need to recognize and own. Now, here's the second thing. He's gonna use other people. He's gonna use Nathans in our life, but he's also gonna use his Holy Spirit. You can go read John 14, 15, 16. You begin to see Jesus ushering in this new economy, the way in which God's gonna operate with his kids. And he says, look, the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of sin, to point some of these things out. Are we sensitive to the spirit of the Lord? As a son or a daughter of God, have we found ourselves to the point where we can kneel before the throne of God and say, God, you love me, you are for me. And so God, would you search out, would you begin to reveal things in me that I don't even see? And I give you absolute freedom to lean in and to press into that. Do you know your father that way? Have you prayed that prayer? You know, Jamie kicked off an interesting conversation last week. And he took us to a passage I want to look at again, because I think, man, if we could memorize a passage of scripture as a church, this might be a good one to memorize. The word of God, you know, Psalm 1, meditate on the word of God day and night. Man, if you're going to meditate on any passage of scripture over the next four weeks in particular, what might it look like to memorize Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24? It's two verses. And begin to memorize those, commit those to memory, and then we're going to pray this over ourselves and over our family as we go forward. But here's what it says. With absolute sincerity and confidence in who you are in Christ, might you be able to say, God, would you search me? And would you know me? Would you know my heart? Would you try me and know my thoughts? God, would you and you alone, would you see if there be any grievous way, any sinful way, any wrong, errant way in me? And would you lead me in the way everlasting? Guys, I gotta be honest with you. If God Almighty looks down upon his children and all he sees are a bunch of children that are on their knees before him saying, God, would you search me? Would you know me? I know you know me. Would you know me? And would you begin to point out things that I don't even see in me? Would you try me and know my thoughts? God, would you point out any grievous, any heiress, any, any way that is not quite on point with bringing you glory? God, would you begin to point those out in me? And then would you lead me in the way everlasting? Man, you talk about a, a, a church family. You talk about sons and daughters of God in his hands that he can, he can mold and he can shape. And you want to talk about transformation? God would transform not only this church, but the culture and the world around us. Humble, broken, contrite spirits. Do you know your father that way? Do you have the courage to lean in and to look at God and say, God, would you search me? Would you know me? Would you try me and know my anxious thoughts? Do you know the Lord that way? I'll be honest with you. Uh, and I, I'm gonna, I, I don't know, I'm gonna say it, but I'll apologize. This is my disclaimer, okay? I apologize up front if my frustration comes out. Uh, I've been meeting with a lot of people uh, over the last couple of, of months during this whole COVID season. And um, I've heard something on, on numerous occasions that, that just irks me every time. Uh, and the statement is this, I, I, will, I will be interacting. I've been meeting with some couples and I'll be looking at a, at a husband or a wife and and they'll be saying different things, and, and I, it'll become very apparent what the issue is, whatever it is. And so we'll point it out and say, hey, do you, do you see this in yourself? Do you see this in yourself? And I've heard on numerous occasions some version of this story. Yeah, I know. No, I know I have that. But you don't understand, Kevin. That's how God wired me. 
That's how God wired me. That's just who I am. He knew that when he married me. It's who I am. It's, it's just the core of my being. It's how I was raised. I've got to be honest with you, man. You know what I hear in that? I hear pride and arrogance. And I hear you basically looking up at the almighty creator and sustainer of the universe and saying, God, you're too small to transform me because this is how you made me. And so everyone else in the world around me can deal with it because it's who I am. Man, never, never let your sin define you. God is in the business of transforming lives. God is in the business of doing incredible things in the lives of people. If you recognize it, if you own it, just own it. I'm not perfect. Here I am. So God, here I am. Let me, let me lay this at the feet of your cross and would you do what only you can do? Because guys, that's what it's all about. And so here's the mental picture I keep having over and over and over again with myself is, is kneeling before God. I picture God on his throne. And I walk in a beat up, bruised, disgusting sinner. And here I come and I walk in and I just say, God, would you search me? Would you know me? Would you try me and know my thoughts? God, would you show me any grievous way in me, any sinful way in me? And God begins to expose all of this stuff. And then in that moment, when you're sitting there kneeling before the throne of God and God reveals to you all the stuff in your life, stuff that you don't even know was there, stuff that you don't even want to see, but he reveals it to you. You can do one of two things. You can either give in to the, to the enemy and that is to do this, to take it and go, oh my gosh, this is disgusting. I can't believe you showed this to me. This is now who I am. And you can wallow in guilt and shame and you can carry that around with you and you can let it define you. And that's the way some of us will tend to go. And we give the enemy all the power over us. Or in that same moment, as you sit there and God begins to expose some of that stuff to you, you can say, God, I can't, I, I don't know what to do with this. This is disgusting. Here, you take it. And God stands up and he rubs his hands together and he goes, finally, I've been waiting for you to get to this moment. For this moment of absolute humility and broken, contrite heart that you would say, you can't do it on your own. So let me take that. And let me begin to do what only I can do through the power of my Holy Spirit. Let me begin to implement Philippians 1.6 in you. Let me begin to, the one who began a good work in you, let me be faithful to bring this to completion and let me begin to sort out things you can't do on your own. Guys, I think that's where it all starts. So as you kneel before your fathers, you kneel before the throne of God, you gotta figure out, okay, what are you gonna do with that? You're gonna take it right back? Try and stuff it way down. Try and hide it. Or are you going to own it? Put it before the Lord and let God do what only God can do. We've got to own our sin. We've got to own our stuff and let God reveal that stuff to us. Let us recognize that. Here's the second thing that I think we need to do. As you begin to recognize your own sin, my hope and prayer for all of us would be this, that we would recognize our absolute utter dependence upon a Savior. That we need our Savior more than ever before. Here's the beauty of, of what I think God's calling us to do. The more you begin to expose some of that stuff, the more you begin to lay some of that stuff before the throne room of God, and God begins to bring up all the stuff in you that you've been trying to hide and make pretty, but you know is there and is not good, it should make the gospel that much more beautiful. It should give you the opportunity to say, God, look at all this stuff. Look how gross I mean, What do you mean I do this? And God looks down at you and goes, that's exactly, that's exactly why my son came take care of all of that for you. That's why he died. 
Quit fooling yourself thinking that you're pretty because of what you do. It's all about what I do through the sacrifice of my son, Jesus Christ. And the gospel comes alive and the grace of God showers upon us and it becomes a beautiful thing if we acknowledge and recognize our need for a savior. And so I don't know where you're at. I don't know, I don't know what's going on in your head or, or what God's saying to you. Maybe nothing. Maybe you've tuned out already. I don't know. But here's what I know to be true. The God of the universe loves me as his son. And I stand up here on this stage right now in this moment with all sorts of grievous ways in me, a sinner in need of a savior. And I sat over here beforehand and I'll go sit down over here as soon as I'm done in just a minute. And I'll pray the same prayer. God, would you search me? Would you know me? And as you begin to reveal that stuff to me, God, would you let me lean in and grab onto your son, Jesus Christ, with all that I've got? Because I need him for everything. I can't do any of this stuff without you. And guys, that's the beauty of the gospel as he looks down at us. He says, I know. That's why I sent my son. That's why he died a horrific death so that you could be forgiven in the midst of everything going on. Go read Ephesians 2. Go take a hard look at that. While you were dead in your sin, Christ died for us. Why? Because God's rich in mercy and love. And so in the midst of all of that, he would look at us and say, I love you. That's why my son died. But the good news is, man, he beat death three days later. And he's now seated at the right hand of me up here in heaven. And he's looking down at you and he wants nothing more than to transform your life going forward. So again, I don't know where you're at. We're gonna take communion in just a moment, have an opportunity to reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on our behalf. But maybe you're out there and you would say, man, I don't, I don't I never come to that place. I never come to the end of myself. I'm still trying to figure this out on my own. What might it look like for you in this moment to again, just picture yourself kneeling before the cross of Christ and all of that stuff that you've been holding on to, all of that stuff that you've been trying to clean up on your own, maybe all of those things that God's been exposing in you through Nathan's, through his Holy Spirit, and just through the world around you, what might it look like for you to take all of that and just put it at the feet of the cross and say, God, would you come in? Would you, would you change me? Would you do what only you can do? In this moment, in this place, at this time right now, I'm putting all my stock, all my faith in you because I need a savior more than ever. Man, you get to that place, there's no limit to what God can do as we move forward. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's the beauty of the gospel. So here's where I wanna go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna close in prayer. And if you're in that place, if you're sitting there saying, man, I, I need Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'm gonna pray a prayer. And, and let, me, let me share this, because this has irked me for a while too. Uh, this is not the sinner's prayer. We're all sinners. This is, this is a prayer. There's no such thing as a sinner's prayer. We're all sinners. And this ain't a magical prayer either. This is a prayer that maybe puts words to some of what you guys are thinking and feeling and maybe you can't verbalize it yourself. So just follow along. But this ain't a magic prayer. This isn't a get out of hell free card. But if your heart is genuinely there and you would say, man, I wanna know the Lord. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus Christ and live my life for him moving forward. Then just pray this prayer with me. And then I'll close this out as we all pray a prayer together. But here's the prayer I would have for you that, that are looking to seek Christ for the first time. God, I thank you for loving me. God, I recognize in this moment, in this place where I'm at, that I am not perfect. God, as I search my own life, I realize I'm not perfect. And as I welcome you in to search it as well, you reveal things to me that make that all too clear. But God, in this moment, in this place, I trust in your son, Jesus Christ. 
I believe he died for my sins. I believe he came back to life and beat death so that I could have hope. Certainly for an eternity with you. God, also hope for a transformed life now. So God, in this moment, in this place, placing my faith in your son, Jesus Christ. I'm gonna close as we pray for everybody, but if you prayed that prayer, if you, if, you've, if you have questions, you're leaning into the Lord in the midst of any of this, do me a favor, reach out to the church. It doesn't have to be this church. Any church that believes in the word of God and teaches the word of God, reach out to them. Tell them what's going on in your soul. Let them come alongside, and as we talked about earlier, let them put their arm around you and love you in this journey. They would love to welcome you into the family of God. But for the rest of us, sons and daughters of God most high, what might it look like for us to kneel before the throne of God and to pray Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 over our own lives and over the lives of others? So let me pray that. I'm gonna pray that for myself. And I hope you guys can all agree with that as well. Let me pray one last time. God, we thank you. God, thank you for your word and the promises that are in them. God, right now with absolute humility and God, if I'm honest with a little bit of fear, I ask you to search me and to know me. And God, I ask that you would try, if I'm honest, God, my anxious thoughts. God, that you would begin to root some of those things out. God, though this part scares me the most, I do ask that you would point out any grievous way in me and any, any way that I am not aware of. God, I pray that you would help me recognize it in this moment, in this place. God, that you would expose some things in me through the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that I would have the courage to not take those back and wallow in shame and guilt, but God, I would have the absolute confidence and courage in who I am to you to put those at the feet of your throne and let you do what only you can do. So God, as you search me, as you know me, as you try me and know my thoughts, as you search out these grievous ways in me, God, I pray with every fiber of my being that I would lean into you and that you would lead me in the way everlasting. And God, I pray the same for all my brothers and sisters, for the family of Scottsdale Bible Church, God, for all of those that long for you to get in and do what only you can do, God, I pray with absolute humility we would find ourselves before you, our good and loving, gracious Father. And God, as always, we will thank you in advance for all that you're gonna do. For all that you're gonna do. We love you, we thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.